Hello friends, welcome to episode 56 of Beyond the News. I'm your host Jim Grant coming up on today's show. It's an eclectic mix of audio clips and news stories. The vaccine special part three will be next week, but there will be quite a bit of vaccine stuff today. But looking at it from a different angle, the, the special is going to cover a great deal more in terms of doctors' comments and things. So this is going to be more sort of fallout and news how it affects the world and other such things. So, for example, our opening article here tonight, this is from the New York Post by Julian Grace Brufke. Two senior FDA officials resign over Biden administration booster shot plan. Two senior officials have resigned from their positions within the U.S. Food and Drug Administrations over frustrations with the Biden administration's plans to move forward with recommending COVID-19 booster shots without their prior approval, according to a report. Marion Gruber, Director of the FDA's Office of Vaccines Research and Review and Deputy Director Phil Krauss are set to leave the agency this fall with sources telling Politico that the two officials were at odds with the FDA's top vaccine official, Peter Marks, and were discontented over the roles of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Advisory Committee on Immunisation Practices in decisions that they believed should be handled by the FDA. According to trade publication Endpoints, the officials felt that they were sidelined on major decisions, that the administration's plan for boosters was jumping the gun, and the Marks should have pushed for the FDA to have more... Autonomy on the matter. <laughs> if you look up the article, you'll see the mistake I've made there. All articles can be found on the Beyond the News Facebook page. Uh, I'm going to tr- Parler seems to be letting me post again, so I'll get that back up and running. And they're in the comments section uh, if you're listening to this on Spotify. A big thank you and welcome to our radio alumni listeners as well. So Marx played a leading role in helping the administration craft its August announcements for calls for an additional vaccine for most adults after 18 months. So my take on that is they're not happy that this is uh, as safe as they thought it would be and um, they want to slow down and Biden's going, nope, don't slow down. That's my take on that. Other people a little bit upset as well. SF sheriffs, I presume that's San Francisco because this is from the said town chronicle by Megan Cassidy on August the 6th. SF sheriffs deputies threaten resignations over city's vaccination mandate. The San Francisco Sheriff's Department will see a wave of resignations if the city enforces its policy requiring vaccinations for its employees, according to the Deputy Sheriff's Association, the union representing sheriff's deputies. Uh, yeah, uh, if that had been Deputy Sheriff's Union, you, they wouldn't have needed to explain that. No. But mandated vaccines will result in law enforcement officers and firefighters retiring early and seeking employment elsewhere, the union wrote on its Facebook page Thursday. Public safety of San Francisco has turned into the Wild West and will get worse when officers quit due to the vaccine mandate. Union President Ken Lombert said he's heard threats of resigning or retiring early because of the mandatory mandatory vaccine policy from a large group within our membership. Officials within the city's Department of Human Resources issued a Friday statement sharply denouncing the union's stance, particularly in light of the highly transmissible Delta variant of the coronavirus. Yep. Let's get that mandate out before the data of uh, how 
effective the vaccines are against the Delta virus comes in. Oh, it's already in. It's well, I'll, I'll be covering it next week. But if you want to see some uh, ideas, uh, thank you, Christian, to sending it to the Telegram group about the uh, the rate of spread in Israel. There's some articles on there. And of course, I think we've covered it, some ideas on previous episodes as well. So that's from San Francisco. This is from the CDC now. A little trip down memory lane. This is, let's see, I can't see when this was published, but this is result or this is talking about the 2009 pandemics influenza vaccination in Europe. So this is from the CDC's own website.gov. Narcolepsy following 2009 pandemics influenza vaccination in Europe. An increased risk of narcolepsy was found following vaccination with pandemics, a monovalent 2009 H1N1 influenza vaccine that was used in several European countries during the said influenza pandemic. The risk was initially found in Finland and then other European countries also detected an association. Uh, it was manufactured by GlaxoSmithKline in Europe and you can read it all for yourself. It's a lot of medical details there. I'm going to skip now to the next article which talks about it. This is from the BMJ. Pandemrics vaccine. Why was the public not told of early warning signs? So if you can see what I'm doing here, I'm taking a trip down memory lane to suggest that this may not be the first time a vaccine has been rolled out. And later down the line, it's got some very bad effects and you're starting to look at it and you'll see the early warning signs and you go, hmm... Let's just keep that quiet. And perhaps um, there's people, those official resignations at the uh, FDA earlier that I read out. I'm just I'm putting pieces of the puzzle together. Do you see what I see? Maybe yes, maybe no. I'm just saying that, that such things are possible because they've happened before. And here they are, according to the BMJ. So this was published on the 20th of September in 2018. I'll say the headline again, Pandemrics vaccine. Why was the public not told of early warning signs? That, for me, kind of says it all. Eight years after the pandemic influenza outbreak, a lawsuit alleging that GlaxoSmithKline's pandemics vaccine caused narcolepsy has unearthed internal reports suggesting problems with the vaccine safety. Peter Doshi asks what this means for the future of transparency during public health emergencies. Well, skip forward a few years because this was published in 2018. Uh, I'm sure everything's going fine. That's why there was resignations from the FDA. In October 2009, the US National Institutes of Health Infectious Diseases Chief Anthony Fauci appeared on YouTube to reassure Americans about the safety of the swine flu vaccine. Great. Is marketing records good then? The track record for serious adverse events is very good. It's very, very... I'm going to count this here. It's very, very, very rare that you see anything associated, anything that's associated with the vaccine that's a serious event, he said. Four months earlier, the WHO had declared the H1N1 influenza pandemic and by October 2009, the new vaccines were being rolled out across the world. So um, they, they said, we fully support the swine flu vaccination program. The vaccine has been thoroughly tested, they declared in a joint statement. And that was from... Uh, that was a similar story was playing out in the UK with prominent organisations, including the Department of Health, British Medical Association and Royal Colleagues of General Practitioners working hard to convince a reluctant NHS workforce to get vaccinated. Sound familiar, guys? Again, this is published 20th of September 2018. I just wanted to take you a little trip down memory lane uh, to say that this stuff has this stuff has gone on before. 
recently as well. Um, so you can read more for yourself. Well, I'll go on actually. Um, so the vaccine has been thoroughly tested, they declared in a joint statement, except it hadn't. And remember, this isn't a conspiracy theory site, this is the BMJ. I believe that's the British Medical Journal. Anticipating a severe influenza pandemic, governments around the world had made various logistical and legal arrangements to shorten the time between recognition of a pandemic virus and the production of a vaccine, administration of that vaccine in the population. In Europe, one element of the plans was an agreement to grant licences on pandemic vaccines based on data from pre-pandemic mock-up vaccines produced a different virus, the H5N1 influenza. So let me just read that again. Agreement to grant license to pandemic vaccines based on pre-pandemic mock-up vaccines produced a different produced using a different virus. Oh right. So they're not talking about it produced another virus. Fair enough. Uh, another element adopted by countries such as Canada, the US, UK, France and Germany was to provide vaccine manufacturers indemnity from liability for wrongdoing, thereby reducing the risk of a lawsuit stemming from vaccine-related injury. Ta-da! Well, I've got a feeling that so this when was it twenty two thousand and nine it was came out and this was um, published twenty eighteen so nine years later I wonder what in nine years in twenty thirty the BMJ is going to be saying about this vaccine I have a feeling it will be a similar story but that is uh, purely speculation on my part um, just a, a guesstimate guest on the the sort of things that we're covering on this show so far but I'm not a doctor I'm just pointing out to you that uh, this just sounds very very similar from something that exactly happened about uh, 20 you know about 10 years ago and who knows what the side effects are going to be this time I wonder if it's going to be narcolepsy or something different if anything we shall see won't we BBC COVID-19 New Zealand woman dies after Pfizer jab and sturgeon self-isolating Yep, that pretty much uh, says it all. New Zealand has reported what it believes to be the first death linked to the COVID vaccine, Pfizer. So um, there you go. And of course, there are other people that say, oh, this unvaccinated person has died of COVID as well. Just wanted to let you know there are two sides of the story. Moving on now. Uh, more dissent. Currently, September, perhaps they uh, remember pandemics or whatever it was called from 12 years ago now. Yeah. September the 2nd of this year. So this is, came out yesterday. This is from Reuters. Greece offers unvaccinated healthcare workers a second chance to get the shot. Uh, this is Athens. Greece on Thursday offered unvaccinated healthcare workers a second chance to get a shot against COVID-19 and allow those who have already suspended uh, those who have been already suspended to return to work as hundreds of them protested against mandatory vaccination. Good for them. Uh, violation of the Nuremberg Code because the Nuremberg says no coercion. Greece has suspended from their jobs nearly 6,000 frontline healthcare workers who missed a September 1st deadline to get at least one vaccine shot, a government official told Reuters. So, yeah, I don't know what the uh, capacity of uh, Greece is like whether in the, their NHS, whether it's run to the bone like our uh, nurses are, um, who do a fantastic job, by the way. Uh, but I doubt our NHS could lose 6,000 nurses overnight. So I, I do not know if theirs could. I honestly don't know. I have been to Greece, but I never went to one of their hospitals. Lovely country, lovely people. 
So uh, hundreds of workers staged a five-hour work stoppage on Thursday and took to the streets of Athens and other Greek cities for the first time in less than a month to protest against a new rule. Good for you. A labour union official for hospital workers, Poseidon, said that a total of 10,000 unvaccinated staff could be suspended, disrupting operations at understaffed Greek hospitals at a time when infections remained high and were likely to rise further. So uh, these people were all heroes, I assume, in Greece last year when, um, like the ones in Britain, all you know, I don't know where they did the, the clap for them or things like that. But uh, last year's heroes are this year's unemployed. That Even though they worked through the pandemic last year with no vaccine, if they want to do the same thing this year, uh, they, then they're going to get fired. So um, best of luck to the Greek uh, people standing up for their rights. I sincerely agree with you. Um, uh, attempting to easily fall out, the government on Thursday said legislation would be amended to allow workers be removed from suspension and get their jobs immediately as long as they got their first dose in coming days. So, hey, it's like when um, when a, a boyfriend or girlfriend walks down the street. I'm leaving you now. I'm leaving you now. I said I'm leaving you now. You know, and secretly they want you to, you know, come and get them. So I'm firing you now. I said, I, I mean it. Oh, I really mean it this time. So let's see what happens here. Ma mandatory vaccination for the workers of the NHS was legislated to help safeguarding public health. Health Minister Thanos Pelvis said on Thursday, of course, it's a global plan. Since we do not intend to punish people, we will introduce an amendment. About 53% of the Greek population is fully vaccinated and authorities hope to bring that figure up to 70% by the autumn. Greece on Thursday reported... 2,840 new coronavirus daily cases and 33 deaths. Again, who knows how they're recording the system? Is it, are they using the 28-day rule like they do in the UK? Uh, those cases, are they um, are those people actually ill or have we got 40 PCR tests? Do they use the PCR over there? I do not know. And um, that people that are coming in with the uh, virus, are they fully vaccinated as well because in other parts of the world it doesn't seem to be making a bit of difference in fact it seems to be making it a little bit worse but uh, we will go through numbers at another time or perhaps go and listen to other um, podcasts that I've done and speaking of other podcasts that I've done do you remember I had on our guest Mr John O'Looney uh, I'll get him on again very interesting human being with some very good interesting stories to say well he isn't the only person working with dead bodies that has um, interesting things to, to say. I trawled through this and got the article uh, from translated from a German article. And the German article is from, I believe, uh, uh, quite a mainstream source in Germany, from what I understand. Uh, but by all means, go and check it out for yourself, as you should with everything I say. Uh, it's called Ausberger-Algemein.de. Um, and uh, here it is for you. I'll read the article out for you. Chief Pathology de Uni Heidelberg drank Alfmere obduction von Gemeiften. Good. Did you follow that? Excellent. Right. So uh, I'll continue reading. No, I'm only joking. I've popped it in Google Translate for us. So um, again... Uh, if it sounds uh, odd, then uh, it's because um, Google Translate has translated it strangely. 
Or it could be just my general. Less than professional presentation. Who knows? Take your pick here. All right, so here we go. This is the uh, headline. It reads, Chief Pathologist at the University of Heidelberg urges more autopsies of vaccinated people. Uh, that was the headline I read out. And the article continues, A pathologist would now like to do more autopsies on the deceased who were vaccinated against corona and his the uh, thesis has received a lot of criticism. It's spelt theses. So again, lost in translation. I think it might mean thesis. I honestly don't know. He himself emphasises that vaccination is an essential part of the fight against the virus. But the chief pathologist at the University of Heidelberg, Peter Schreimacher, urges many more autopsies of vaccinated people. In addition to corona deaths, the courses of people who die in connection with a vaccination would also have to be examined more frequently, said Schreimacher of the German press agency in Stuttgart. The director of the Pathological Institute in Heidelberg even warns of a high number of unreported cases of vaccination deaths and complains the pathologists do not notice about most of the patients who die after and possibly from a vaccination. However, other scientists disagree with him on this point, as do the Standing Vaccination Committee and the Paul Elric Institute. So, um, yeah, the, the people on the ground... Uh, are going, let's look into this more, and the people who aren't go, no, let's not. For a year now, corona deaths have been autopsied at the university clinics in the southwest in order to understand the disease. The state supports, yes, there's quite a lot here. Um, uh, I'll just get down to here. In Badenburg, Württemberg, the pathologists therefore worked with public prosecutors, the police, and resident doctors, report Sch Schumacher. Um, uh, more than 40 people have already been autopsied who died within two weeks of being vaccinated. Skorimaka assumes that 30 to 40% of them died from the vaccination. In his opinion, the frequency of fatal consequences of vaccinations is underestimated and a politically explosive statement in times when the vaccination campaign is losing momentum, the Delta variant is spreading rapidly and the restrictions of non-vaccinated people are being discussed. Uh, Skirmak also received clear objections from other scientists. So there you go, you can see it for yourself. Just copy and paste it, stock it into Google Translate. And a uh, very interesting article there from, uh, from the German publication. Uh, now, I'd like to play a clip for you now. Again, as with all clips, I own no copyright on any of them. This is from uh, Talk Radio, I believe, the Julia Hartley Brewer Show. Um, uh, it's I got it from a friend of mine on Facebook posted by someone called Dominique Eldermans. I have no idea who they are. Uh, it's just one of those things sort of doing around. So this is from a uh, public social media thing. If there is any copyright issues, email me at beyondthenews at protonmail.com and I will edit it out of the show. Um, but I'm doing this to say I recommend her work. Uh, check her out on Talk Radio. So uh, not nicking anything. I'm just... Uh, an advert for them and recommending them because I think our listeners will like this. So she's talking now about um, the terrible law about um, parents not having to consent to their children getting the jab now, uh, which I thought you might find interesting. 
has said talk about well what on earth is going on when it comes to vaccinations a vaccination rollout to over 70s was supposed to when we get our freedom back as it was we had to wait until uh, uh, many 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 more younger people at far less risk uh, to get uh, their vaccinations uh, then the rollout to 16 and 17 year olds uh, healthy ones just one jab second jab not considered to be safe yet jcbi the body that approves uh, the rollout of vaccines uh, in a three-hour meeting at the current time uh, no doubt discussing the front page of the uh, telegraph today which is revealed that uh, health officials the nhs have drawn up plans to start vaccinating children as young as 12 from the very first week that schools go back in england well that is next week uh, looking at starting the uh, child vaccination program for healthy 12 13 14 and 15 year olds as early as september the 6th uh, emails uh, internal emails seen by the newspaper uh, sent by the nhs england's regional offices say trust must have plans ready by four o'clock this Friday. This, by the way, would be vaccinations for disease, which um, is not a serious risk in any way uh, to healthy children of that age. Um, and it would be without parental consent. Well, let's talk about all of this with uh, Dr. Rene Hunterkamp, who's an NHS GP and a medical uh, writer and presenter. Good morning to you, Rene. Morning, Julia. Um, How are you? Uh, well, I have to say, flabbergasted by this news. What was your reaction when you saw this front page story today? Do you know, I'm heartbroken, really, Julia. I really am, because I'm just heartbroken for the children, obviously, but also for the parents, because I think parents are under considerable pressure to do this, and I don't think they're being given all of the information to make the right consent. And now they're being told that actually their consent isn't needed. And I'm just, as a parent, I, my heart is just breaking. Yeah. Um, and as a doctor, I just don't understand. No, exactly. I mean, again, I find it extraordinary. My, my, my child's 14 years old she can't consent to buy cigarettes or alcohol till she's 18 she can't get a tattoo she can't even get a piercing without my permission but someone can jab her with a vaccine now you and i look you're a gp i'm a child of a gp i mean you know we've been following all this very very closely i am very pro-vax my daughter was mmr'd uh, absolutely no issue with any of that and all the other childhood immunizations uh, that uh, can genuinely save children's lives around the world and have been a magnificent magnificent achievement of uh, your scientists and medics uh, and the covid vaccine i've been double jabbed as a 53 year old would very much encourage people uh, certainly anyone at highly at risk uh, certainly over 50s are getting the jab there have been big question marks even about under 30s need for the jab uh, given how little risk the healthy under 30s are are from uh, covid uh, statistically and we've seen this across the board certainly under 18s at unbelievably low statistical risk of getting uh, very seriously ill, let alone dying of COVID. Um, what justification could there possibly be for rolling out the jab to children as young as 12 when we know that there is a risk from all vaccines? And this vaccine we know has, um, although they're very small, a noticeably higher small risk of adverse effects and even death than many other vaccines that have been trialled for longer. We, we know there will be children who will suffer serious health problems as a yeah. result of getting the vaccine when you roll it out to five million children there will be even if it's one in fifty thousand have serious adverse reactions or even death we are going to see undeniably statistically it's impossible that children will not die as a result of this vaccine rollout so I, i'm really really concerned julia and i'm not sure i mean i think the justification that people will use is that if we vaccinate everybody in society all the way down to babies eventually because there are trials going on with babies mm -hmm. then we keep the viral load down but i i just don't buy that argument because as with any medical procedure or vaccination or treatment that we give we have to decide that the benefit of giving it to that individual is more than the harm that we might bring on them yeah. and we are already seeing as 
you know, myocarditis. There's data from Israel that says that in 19 to 24 year olds, it's about one in 10,000 are getting myocarditis. And in 16 to 19 year olds, it's one in 6,000. And explain, and explain, and explain what that is. So myocarditis is an inflammation of the heart muscle. And there are already... There's plenty of evidence at the moment that this is happening because of the vaccine. Yes, it does happen if children get COVID sometimes, but at a much lower rate, and we wouldn't have injected it into their arm. So we wouldn't have given them myocarditis. And frankly, the risk of a 12 to 15 year old dying of COVID is two in a million. So frankly, if it were my 12 to 15 year old, I would rather they take that chance than a chance of one in 6,000 of getting inflammation of the heart, because we have no idea of knowing what long term damage to heart tissue there will be. There's a 29 year old professional footballer in Italy this week who has got myocarditis from the vaccine, who has been told he cannot play football for at least six months and then they will see. You know, why are we going to do this to our children? But the, the argument, is, the argument has always been that, well, you know, we need to get herd immunity and we haven't got enough of a take up of the vaccine uh, in uh, in adults, which is ridiculous because it's an absurdly high take up of the, the vaccine in adults. Um, but they, they, there was this idea, not only does the vaccine protect you, that it does uh, promote some level of herd immunity. And, and so therefore, so me as a healthy 53 year old who's already had COVID, me having the vaccine will make, limit my chances of getting the Delta variant and possibly protect me from accidentally infecting uh, people in their 70s who are at higher risk of dying. Now, as an adult, I can understand that argument. I still think people have absolutely got the right to have no punishment or no judgment for choosing not to do that. But I understand the concept of us having yeah. a duty to our fellow citizens and adults. What I don't understand, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is the idea that a, a, a young teenager, a 12-year-old, has a duty of, of, a duty of care to a 75-year-old or an 80-year-old who are at risk of dying. Since when does a moral, decent society ask children to take a risk to their health to to help an 80 year old live an extra year longer? That seems to me to be morally, I mean, obscene. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I've said this from the start that our children are not here to protect us. We are here to protect our children. And that is absolutely what we should be doing. And by deciding that we're going to vaccinate these children to protect the, the adult population, we are not protecting them. We are actually using them as sacrificial shields. And that is how I feel about it. I, like you, Julia, I've had COVID. I've had the vaccine. My three-year-old has had every single vaccine offered to her, plus one that I paid for. Mm -hmm. because why should she get chicken pox if she doesn't have to yep. but she would not be having this vaccine if she were 12 and she wouldn't i would take her out of school yep. because i want to see the long-term data she had covid when i had covid she was literally with a fever for an hour children do not get very sick of covid not healthy children now when we talk about vulnerable children who of course we have to protect they can have the vaccine because it's a completely different equation. We have to just weigh up what their risk and benefit is. And for them, if the benefit is having the vaccine, then let them have it. Renee, as they should. absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And again, the idea that this can happen without even parents consenting, I find absolutely extraordinary. Uh, 9.33 is the time. Dr. Renee Hondekamp, NHS GP, really appreciate you joining us. Uh, let's get an update on the latest headlines here on Talk Radio. So, um, yeah, I thought... Those uh, two ladies, Julia and the NHS doctor, made uh, some really good points there. So um, I wonder how many children will now be taken out of school and homeschooled as a re direct result. And I also reckon there'll be a number of parents who are like, yeah, absolutely take away my right to decide what you inject chemically into my child. If it saves society, yeah, absolutely you pass that law. 
I think there'll be a mixture of both people um, in that side of the fence, sadly, but that's more of a sign of our polarising society, isn't it? Next article here again, we're staying with some more vaccine type news. This is from the CNBC, July the 30th by Berkeley Lovelace Jr. CDC study shows 74% of people infected in Massachusetts COVID outbreak were fully vaccinated. And you can go on and see the thing for yourself there, but I think the headline sort of says it all there. As does this one. This is by uh, CBS News. A Royal Caribbean cruise set sail with all adults fully vaccinated. Then two passengers tested positive for COVID-19. Anyway, um, you can see that for yourself as well. No need for me to uh, go into it further. You get the idea from the headlines there. This is by Breitbart.com. Exclusive. Devon Nunes on lawsuit against Rachel Maddow. Her fake news is dangerous, not some joke. Um, uh, Representative Devon Nunes, uh, I think that's CA, is that California? A Republican, I believe, told Breitbart News that demonstrably fake news MSNBC's Rachel Maddow published against him earlier this year is putting him, his family and his staff in danger from people who believe the inaccurate allegations. Nunes, who this past week filed a defamation lawsuit against Maddow, joined Breitbart News Saturday on Sirius XM 125, the Patriot Channel this weekend, to explain the lawsuit, but also his broader efforts to combat weaponised misinformation from the fake news establishment media, which Nunes has been leading on with novel tactics of dealing with the media and a lawsuit strategy of exposing fake news. So, uh, that was 9th of August 2021. We'll keep you uh, on the idea of that. So um, not just the public, but some politicians now um, are starting to go, well, hold on. The establishment mainstream media is is it, some of its fake news. So um, a- another example of it here. Time's Up, this is from the Daily Mail, Time's Up CEO apologises for helping draft letter used to discredit Cuomo accuser but refuses to resign after co-founder quit. Tina Tishen posted a lengthy statement on Time's Up website Wednesday. She said she was profoundly sorry for backing the disgraced governor and asked for input from the survivor community to help them do better. Uh, She claimed she had no knowledge the letter was part of an ongoing effort to undermine the survivors until New York AG James's office, I believe that's New York Attorney James's office, Attorney General, released its damning report. Instead, she claimed the charity was used as a cover for heinous actions going inside Cuomo's office. She is facing calls to stand down after James's report found she and board chair Roberta Kaplan helped draft a letter used to discredit Lindsay Bolan. Uh, Kaplan resigned from her role at Time's Up Monday in the wake of the scandal. And the headline, yeah, I've read out the headline. So uh, the CEO of Time's Up has apologised for helping draft a letter to discredit one of Ando Krumer's accusers. So, um, so there you go. Uh, Letitia James's office dug it up. So just an example of how uh, some mainstream media is less of a journalist and more of a... Uh, well, let's not investigate these. Let's just discredit the people making the claims. Uh, I wouldn't call that journalism. 
And so uh, brings us on to our next clip of people upset with um, the mainstream media. This is a clip from a show called Hugo Talks. And uh, it's played from something called Odyssey, which I presume is a free speech alternative to YouTube. Also available on Brand YouTube and BitChute. So this is Hugo Talks playing clips from BBC Radio. So I don't even know where to stand on the copyright on that one. Um, this is from, again, from free open source as far as I know. But if there is a problem with either Hugo Talks or the BBC, uh, if I shouldn't be playing these sort of clips, do email me at beyondthenews at protonmail.com and I will remove them from the programme. So uh, not just example of um, more people, not just politicians, starting to just go, I don't really trust the mainstream media and the tactics they're using to combat it. Hello, you're listening to Hugo Talks. So today I've got a couple more people who have called into radio shows, both of them uh, on the BBC, BBC Sussex and also BBC Radio 4. And like I said yesterday, we need more of this because even if you get cut off, it, it just sounds odd. It sounds strange and it makes people question, you know, what is going on? And that can be shown in the later video especially. But first, here is this guy who rang into BBC Radio 4 to ask questions. Check out how the shill presenter tries to turn it around on this guy. But the facts are the facts, and he has no answer for him, so he just cuts him off. Southwest France, via Southwest Scotland, to Southwest England, or at least west of England, uh, Nigel Jones is in Bristol. Hi, Nigel. Hi there. What would you like to say? Um, I have three fundamental questions. Okay, the first is that it says on the Office of National Statistics site that the mor gross morbidity rate for 2020 was 1%. Okay, mm -hmm. it gives a table of, of since 1990, which shows that the normal range is 0.9 to 1.1%, and therefore 2020 in terms of gross morbidity was a normal year. So why are we arguing about this stuff? Second question, in simple language, how do we know that the asymptomatic infections aren't simply false positives? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, according to uh, the, the Nobel Prize winning chemist, a guy called Kerry Munnis, who invented the PCR test, it is grossly open to abuse. He actually explains on his video how to do it if you go for the full 55-minute one. Uh, it's an iterative process uh, where more iterations is more likely for a positive. You know, and follow what, what he says. OK, um, I'll pick you up on some of these points question, in a second, but make your third, third point question. first. Please, please, can I get the third one in? Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, is the, when the BBC reported the dropping R rate, OK, we hadn't actually finished vaxxing the over-80s. Explain how this can be complained as a success rate for the vaccinations. OK, let, let's unpick some of the things you're, you're saying, because this speaks to the kind of conversation. This is what we try and do, isn't it, on, on the ans in the answers, the kind of question conversations that's going oh, on I over... I know from experience that I wouldn't have actually even gotten on the phone if I'd told your vetting people those three questions instead of giving them a load of blarney about how maligned Boris is and, and how we <laughs> need to all be chipped. You are, wel you are welcome to say what you like uh, on, on the radio, and, we're, and, and it's good to talk to you. But let, let's pick away at some of your arguments, because I guess... the people these questions and, and this is the conversation um, we like to have on on answer any answers but to do with it do it with rigor that the, the the bottom line here is you seem to be implying that the, that a pandemic that we know has killed you know way over a hundred thousand people in the uk it is it is not as serious as 
the biggest scientific minds in this country and our political leaders around the UK have been suggesting for much of the last 18 months? All of the press is in agreement, yes. So, but the ONS says 1% death rate, which is normal. That's gross morbidity. Thank you, Nigel. Yeah, so, Nigel in uh, Bristol there. We're going to go to the Isle of Wight next. Uh, Verity is there for us. Hi, Verity. And then... So, um, I just wanted... You can see the whole uh, video uh, for yourself. There's a, there's a few clips on that channel. That's uh, Hugo Talk, so do check that out sometime. And next one here, New York Post. Passengers test positive for COVID on fully vaxxed Royal Caribbean cruise. That's June the 10th, 2021 by Mark Langerio. Something a little bit different now. Unblocking the gut microbiome and its massive significance to health scientists. Uh, this is from Sunday the 11th of July of this year. Scientists are only just discovering the enormous impact of our gut health and how it could hold the key to everything from tackling obesity to overcoming anxiety and boosting immunity. If you want to learn more about what's going on in your gut, the first step is to turn your poo blue. How long it takes for a muffin dyed with blue food colouring to pass through your system is a measure of your gut health. The median is 28.7 hours. Longer transit times suggest your gut isn't as healthy as it could be. We are only now beginning to understand the importance of the gut microbiome. Could this be the start of our golden age of gut health science? Um, so it goes on to say how really important it is and why it's important and the studies in which it does. And um, yeah, your gut microbiome weighs about two kilograms and is bigger than the average human brain. It's a bustling community of trillions of bacteria. Yeah, you can read all the, the other stuff for yourself. So the other subject I wanted to cover now is Afghanistan. And there was a lady on a show with Tucker Carlson, I believe. I forget the name of the show. Again, own no copyright to it whatsoever. I am taking it from a Brightian source from the Doug Hagman show. Again, someone I recommend uh, on Brighton. He has some he has some interesting people on there, but he himself, I believe, is a former private investigator. And uh, this was where I found this clip. And this lady really sums up Afghanistan better than I could and was sort of all the points that I believed anyway. So I thought, rather, yeah, let's just play the clip for from her. Goes. They give us the overview. Well, essentially what you're looking at is um, the collapse of the U.S. will uh, to continue um, in Afghanistan. I think what people really miss in the whole conversation is that the United States has the power to effect anything. And the Afghans know that. So what's really interesting about living on the ground with people in a country like Afghanistan is that you get to see when you take away the prism of, you know, political spin and parties and, you know, all the trappings that we have that obscure the truth from us in the U.S., um, these people, they teach you how to look at things in their most basic form. Yes, that, right? is, that is so true. That's what they do. Yes. And that's how they look at it. So they know, for example, the United States could bomb the Taliban supply lines right now. They're all coming from Pakistan. Everybody knows it. In fact, they're coming right through the Spinbaldak border crossing, one of the early ones that the Taliban took in the beginning of this offensive. They know that 
um, the Taliban doesn't exist without Pakistan, right, and the Pakistani ISI. They know that the United States funds... The ISI funds, being the Pakistani intelligence service. Right. And they know the United States funds the entire defense budget of the Pakistani military and intelligence services. So, for example, you could stop the money. You could stop the remittances of Pakistanis living in the United States. You could put sanctions. You could have visas. You know, the, the whole... Everyone, every time you try to address this issue, the immediate response for 20 years of this war has been, you're advocating for war in Pakistan. No, you're not. What they know is there are many things the United States could do right now to change what has happened and is happening in Afghanistan, and they're not doing it. Wait, can I just pause? I'm asking you a series of dumb questions. Uh, why would the U.S. government be funding the Pakistani military and its intelligence services? <laughs> You know, uh, okay, so that's a fantastic question, um, and really is one for the U.S. government. But um, what I can tell you is that when we hear about the bureaucracy that is on Capitol Hill, which are the bureaucrats who survive uh, from administration to administration. This has been their policy. They have pushed through the Bush administration, through Clinton, through Obama, through Trump, and now to Biden, that because Pakistan is a nuclear nation, they are the only country in that region that actually matters. In fact, Joe Biden told Afghan's president, Hamid, when it was Hamid Karzai was still in power, Exactly that. On his listening tour after Obama won, he said to him, we don't care about Afghanistan. And uh, we believe that Pakistan is the most important country in that region, and they always will be. And that, was, uh, that message never, ever changed. And what you're seeing in Afghanistan today is the results of that policy, because um, the Taliban leadership is based in Pakistan. I mean, yes. the Quetta Shura, the uh, uh, Peshawar Shura, and the Miram Shah Shura. Those are the three leadership councils that cover the entire war um, for the Taliban in Afghanistan. They are not just in Pakistan. They are in the loving and warm embrace of the ISI, who recruits on their behalf when, uh, you know, who orders Pakistanis in the tribal areas to give up their children to go and fight. They don't have a choice sometimes. And the United States has known this from day one. I mean, this is the staggering part to me, is that when you hear this debate, the intelligence agencies fail to see this. Seriously? Seriously. The, the NSA is known as the crown jewel of intelligence collection in the world. There isn't a digital signature in existence that they don't collect and store and analyze and have algorithms and everything else to sort through. The idea that they miss this, do you know what it takes to do an invasion like this? You have to stage forces. You have to plan. You have to have meetings. You have to have, you know, um, um, weapons that are moving in. I, I'm looking to, at our producers. Are you listening to this? I mean, you have <laughs> no, to have you're, deals. No, you're making, so, keep going. I mean, it's like, it's so ridiculous. It's as ridiculous as believing that Ahmed Chalabi, some Iranian refugee in the U.S., persuaded the U.S. government to go to war. I mean, that's literally our narrative on the Iraq war. Seriously? Yes. I mean, we, we get so caught up in the weeds of this. What they want you to believe is that Afghanistan is complicated. Because if you complicate it, it's a tactic in information warfare called ambiguity increasing. So now we're all talking about the corruption and the this and the that, and there's all these complex parts. But at its heart, every single thing in the world, in your personal life, professionally, on the global stage, at its heart, it's very simple. It always comes down to one thing. One or two things. And in this case, in Afghanistan, this comes down to the fact that the United States wants this outcome. Whoever is in power right now, 
whoever is really pulling the strings, and I don't know that, they could do anything they want to change this, and they're not. And you see that on the southern border. You see that with critical race theory. You see that with the violations of big tech. You see it with, I mean, in a thousand different ways, you see it all around you. And what you know from that. You're telling the truth right now. Yeah. I can just feel, I mean, you know, sometimes you, when you're listening to someone unveil an insight and you haven't tested it against anything, but you just know it's right, what you're saying is right. It's very simple. You know, you can you can have a marriage and, you know, be thinking, should I stay with my wife or leave my wife? It can be very complicated. But in the end, it'll come down to one critical, defining, major thing. And everything else um, flows from that. And that's exactly where we're at in Afghanistan. The United States government could change this even today, and they don't do it. They don't use the leverage they have with Pakistan. They'll give you 5,000 reasons, but it doesn't matter. They, they, don't use, they don't tell you the national security threat posed by letting the cartels come across the southern border, do they? They only have a conversation about one thing, the humanitarian aspect. They never address that. Well, they're not addressing right now. You know what they're not addressing? All of the... Uh, the Al-Qaeda and other Islamic terrorist uh, literature and communications that they're picking up that are celebrating this as a massive defeat. They're not talking about why the uh, Taliban are dismantling advanced U.S. military equipment and sending it back over the border to Pakistan. And worse, they're not stopping it. Why don't... We are the NSA and the National Geospatial Agency, which controls the satellites and all of these other arms of the United States government are watching this happen in real time. They are seeing advanced U.S. military equipment going over the border into Iran and going into Pakistan, and they're doing nothing to stop it. So that was uh, Lara Logan on Tucker Carlson. I think that she's made some really good points there. So I'll put to forward the hypothesis to you. Let's say... You know, when she says whoever's pulling the strings, let's say whoever's pulling the strings makes money from war, the military industrial complex. I think it's fair to say we know there's a lot of money in armaments and stuff. So if you've been in a 20 year war and you keep going, can we have more money to buy our products? And you know, we've been in that 20 year war now. Well, what you could do is, um, right, allow this to occur or perhaps even finance the other side as well. So that then you withdraw, the ta Taliban then inherits a load of all this advanced American weaponry that's left behind. You now have an enemy that gets armed and then in a couple of years you could get them to attack again. And then you could then go to the Congress and go, oh, you see, we're under attack again. We need even more money. If you'd have just given us, you know, X billion um, and continued it ad infinitum for the rest of your life, this wouldn't have happened. But now we need 10 times X uh, to go in there and um, go and beat these people who are um, going to be holding our own weapons against us. It's a military industrial complex. Uh, there was a book about it. Is it Smedley, I believe? Is it Smedley Butler? Um, something about all wars are bankers wars or something like that. I can't remember the name of his book, but or war is a racket, something like that. Um, and it's uh, it's a true statement that is still here today, unfortunately. And um, I, I think it's been around for quite some time. Smedley Butler was before the time of JFK. But um, let me see if I can queue up a JFK speech. So this, I believe, was made uh, on April the 27th, 1961. JFK. Ladies and gentlemen. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. 
And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweighed the dangers which are cited to justify it. Even today, there is little value in opposing the threat of a closed society by imitating its arbitrary restrictions. Even today, there is little value in ensuring the survival of our nation if our traditions do not survive with it. And there is very grave danger that an announced need for increased security will be seized upon by those anxious to expand its meaning to the very limits of official censorship and concealment. Patriot Act, anyone? NDAA? COVID regulations? That I do not intend to permit to the extent that it's in my control. And no official of my administration, whether his rank is high or low, civilian or military, should interpret my words here tonight as an excuse to censor the news, to stifle dissent, to cover up our mistakes, or to withhold from the press and the public the facts they deserve to know. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy. Did you hear those words? And by the way, all the things that you said they shouldn't do is exactly what they did after his death. But did you hear his words? The original conspiracy theorist, ladies and gentlemen, JFK. That relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. And has that all not come to fruition over the last 50 years or so? In multiple accounts, you know, whether you're looking at wars in Afghanistan or COVID regulations. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. No president should fear public scrutiny of his program. For from that scrutiny comes understanding, and from that understanding comes support or opposition, and both are necessary. I am not asking your newspapers to support an administration, but I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people. For I have complete confidence. and the response and dedication of our citizens whenever they are fully informed. I not only could not stifle controversy among your readers, I welcome it. This administration intends to be candid about its errors. For as a wise man once said, an error doesn't become a mistake until you refuse to correct it. We intend to accept full responsibility for our errors, and we expect you to point them out when we miss them. Without debate, Without criticism, 
No administration and no country can succeed, and no republic can survive. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Sola decreed it a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. And that is why our press was protected by the First Amendment, the only business in America specifically protected by the Constitution, not primarily to amuse and entertain, not to emphasize the trivial and the sentimental, not to simply give the public what it wants, but to inform, to arouse, to reflect, to state our dangers and our opportunities, to indicate our crises and our choices, to lead, mold, educate, and sometimes even anger public opinion. This means greater coverage and analysis of international news, for it is no longer far away and foreign, but close at hand and local. It means greater attention to improved understanding of the news, as well as improved transmission. And it means, finally, that government at all levels must meet its obligation to provide you with the fullest possible information outside the narrowest limits of national security. And so it is to the printing press, to the recorder of man's deeds, the keeper of his conscience, the courier of his news, that we look for strength and assistance, confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. Of course, they couldn't have that. So uh, a couple of years and a few months later, he uh, had a little accident in, with a magic bullet in Texas, but I'm sure it was just a lone gunman. Um, oh no, Trump uh, released the files, didn't they? And it turned out the Attorney General Surgeon's report, is it something? Yeah, go and read it for yourself. Um, so uh, I was going to bring up an article from The Spectator, uh, but it's only allowed me to read the headline now. Wokeness and the Collapse of Intellectual Freedom in the West. That was 28th of August 2021. So, of course, as he said, uh, an educated and uh, informed public. So the first thing you'd need to do is take over the school institutions, wouldn't you? Make certain that they're only intelligent enough to be able to just do what you need them to do, to push buttons on a computer, not enough to look into all your corruptions and such things. And a big other part of that, of the military-industrial complex is surveillance. Bring us on to our next article, NBC News. This is from the 8th of August of this year, 2021, by Olivia Solon. Big tech call centre workers... Oh, sorry, big tech call centre workers face pressure to accept home surveillance. Workers at one of the world's largest call centre companies said additional monitoring would violate the privacy of their family in their homes. Columbia-based call centre workers who provide outsourced customer service to some of the nation's largest companies are being pressured to sign a contract that lets their employer install cameras in their homes to monitor work performance. An NBC News investigation has found six workers based in Columbia for Teleperformance, one of the world's largest call centre companies, which counts Apple, Amazon and Uber among its clients, said that they are concerned about the new contract first issued in March. The contract allows monitoring by AI-powered cameras in workers' homes, voice analytics and storage of data collected from the workers' family members, including minors. 
Teleperformance employs more than 380,000 workers globally, including 39,000 workers in Colombia. The contract allows constant monitoring of what we are doing, but also our family, said a Bogota-based worker on an Apple account who was not authorised to speak to the news media. Yes, we we want to watch everything you do uh, and we're going to authorise what you can say as well, even when it comes to your opinions. I think it's really bad. We don't work in an office. I work in my bedroom. I don't want to have a camera in my bedroom. Yep, here you go. Uh, George Orwell, 1984, coming for the people that at least work for this company. Let's, um, if we can, let's not, let's not use these people for anything. Um, or the people that use them, he says, using an Apple MacBook to record the podcast. <laughs> but I don't use Uber. So next here, this has got to stop. Eric Clapton's new song triggers discussions around COVID-19 measures, 28th of August 2021. Legendary musician Eric Clapton has previously called his AstraZeneca vaccine experience disastrous and released a new song, This Has Got to Stop, the latest reason for the woke crowd to blast the rocket as an anti-science. This has got to stop, enough is enough, I can't take this BS any longer. He opens his new song singing. Clapton goes on to sing details that echo his previous statements on COVID-19 inoculation. I knew that something was wrong. I knew that something was going on wrong when you started laying down the law. Can't move my hands. I break out in a sweat. I want to cry. I can't take it anymore. He sings. Although I reckon he probably sings it a lot better than I just delivered it there. Um, he collaborated with Van Morrison as well. Um, so yeah, there's something to support there. Another article here from the Mirror. Prince Andrew hiding in mansion to avoid being served with sex abuse lawsuit. 30th of August 2021 by Matthew Dresch for the Mirror. The Duke of York strongly denies Virginia Gouff's claim that he abused her at his friend Jeffrey Epstein's Manhattan home and another location while she was under 18. Uh, he's been accused of hiding in his royal mansion to avoid lawyers trying to serve a sexual abuse lawsuit on him, according to reports. Security personnel repeatedly stopped officials trying to hand the Duke of York the documents at the Royal Ledge last week, the Sun claims. Prince Andrew's legal team declined to comment, but previously the Royal has strongly denied the allegations against him. The lawsuit alleges the 61-year-old sexually abused his friend Jeffrey Epstein's former sex slave Virginia Gruff in 2001 when she was 17 years old. Miss Gruff claims that she was lent out by Prince Andrew's disgraced paedophile pal and his Madame Ghislaine Maxwell. Always want to point out uh, Prince Charles, Jimmy Savile, good pals as well. Bringing us where to we started as we're getting close to the end of the show now. Moderna vaccinations halted in Japan's Okinawa after black substances found in vial days after other batch of jab was suspended. Uh, RT, 29th of August. Um, Hazimbada, I think, or is he just the credit for the photo? I'm not sure. Uh, Okinawa Prefecture has halted Moderna vaccinations after unknown materials were found in a vial of the drug. The move comes after Japan pulled 1.6 million Moderna doses from a different batch over contamination concerns. Black substances were discovered in syringes and a vial, while unidentified pink substances were spotted in a different syringe with a Moderna vaccine dose, according to Japan's public broadcaster NHK. Um, just another quick word on Japan while I'm there. 
there was a video floating around about um, Japan's health minister coming out and recommending ivermectin. But uh, I don't, that's what the video going around on the telegram is, but I don't speak Japanese, so it, for all I know, he could be reading out his shopping list. Um, so I, I got no way of verifying it, but um, that would be very interesting uh, if that's the case. Um, Okinawa's government said in a statement on Sunday, uh, verifying the actual video, and um, I should, should have said, and uh, I haven't had the time to really go hunting for the news to go and find out if he did set it. But um, that'll be an interesting one for Google Translate. I'll have to do that with the, with the German one because often, you know, as we've seen, the mainstream news doesn't really cover everything. So Okinawa's government said in a statement on Sunday that it was suspending the use of Moderna vaccines after foreign substances were spotted in some of them. Uh, Takeda Pharmaceutical, Japan's domestic distributor of the Moderna shot, is expected to probe whether the suspected contamination occurred during production or will consult with the health ministry on the matter nhk reported the discovery comes just three days after japan suspended the use of more than 1.6 million moderna doses that had been distributed to 863 vaccination centers around the country the doses were temporarily pulled from circulation as a precautionary measure after foreign material was discovered in some vials some of the doses were reportedly contaminated with metal particles the newly discovered Discovered contaminated doses in Okinawa are from different vaccine lots. I still haven't verified. I haven't seen it with my own eyes whether someone with a shot has that thing, that magnet thing, or whether that's just like a, a video conspiracy theory type thing. But you know, if it's got metal in there, that might explain some of those um, people saying they they can stick a magnet to where they had the shot on. But like I said, that's just speculation. I would like to see something like that with my own eyes because um, I think it's important to do your own research. Um, don't take what I say. I'm certain I could listen back to my all my shows and I could probably pick myself up on a few things and go, oh, that came across wrong. Or I've now discovered new data that that, 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 that I've now got a better idea and I've changed my opinion. Uh, that's what an open mind does. That's what science does. I think that's what we should all be. And um, and that's what I hope you do with the information on this show. Please join our Facebook page if you're on that um, that platform. Uh, we're on Parler as well. I kind of think it allows me to post now, but we shall see. I'm on Gab, but I'm under Jim Grant on that, not Beyond the News. And of course, the Telegram group is Beyond the News, Jim. Thank you ever so much for listening to us, whether you're on Spotify or our Affiliates Radio alumni. Cheers. And I'll, well, I won't see you next week. You'll, you'll hear from me next week. Cheers. <laughs>